The Cyclone Fanatic Podcast is fueled by Cody Rhodes and recorded in the Wild Rose Casino and Hotel Studio. Yo, welcome into another edition of the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast. It's Corner 3, presented by our friends at MechDine. You can learn more about them at mechdine.com. Of course, the presenting sponsors of the Williams and Bloom Podcast on uh, on Sunday nights. We've got Chris Williams here uh, to break down some Iowa State basketball. What's going on, Chris? Not a lot. <clears throat> ready, uh, ready to go. Feels like um, feels like the madness, you know. Yeah, like yeah. We've got feels, like it's de- we're we're past the we're past the garbage here. It's time to it's time to put your foot on the pedal. Yeah, you get past the Super Bowl on Sunday, and it's all college basketball for the next month yeah. and a half. It's uh, it's gonna be pretty great. Uh, this game coming up Wednesday night for Iowa State, I think, is going to be a very interesting one. Uh, if you're Iowa state and you want to win a a big 12 regular season championship, this is probably the kind of game that you need to be able to go on the road and get a win. But West Virginia playing really good ball right now Four of their last, they've won four of their last six, uh, won three of their last five in the big 12, two really similar teams, Chris, that I think that, uh, there's some things that make me really nervous about this game from an Iowa state perspective though. Uh, West Virginia gets to the free throw line at an insane rate. Iowa State puts people on the free throw line at an insane rate. Uh, mm-hmm. This this game screams West Virginia shooting like thirty five free throws and Iowa State shooting five to me right now. Yeah, and it's just you think of what has caused problems for Iowa State, and that's that type of pressure, and you know that Bob Hoggins is going to smother Tame and Lipsy, and and I, it will be this will be a game though Jared where man it's going to be good to have Jazz back even mm-hmm. if it's for 15 minutes like I looking back at Tech and I don't want to dwell on it too much clearly the pollsters didn't Iowa State right like it's no point to keep going back to that but there is a there's a recipe out there on how to beat Iowa State and you feel like Bob Huggins is the perfect coach to attempt to do that um, but I also think if you could have Jazz Coons for 10 minutes against Texas Tech, you win that game. Mm-hmm. Like you just do. They just needed one more guy. They needed one more possession. They needed one more smart basketball play, and, and they would have won. So that that definitely helps to get him back, and you feel like he'll keep getting better. He clearly wasn't himself, I didn't think, on on Saturday. But, yeah, I'm with you. The, like this, what, the way I look at this is – you're going to be an underdog. We don't have the line yet. You're probably a five point underdog. Um, quad one. If you win it, you make up for the tech loss. Boom. That's it. Right. If you lose it, it's fine because I, I really don't think anybody's going to expect you to win it in the first place. So it, it's kind of a no lose situation for Iowa state. But again, you're in a different spot now expectations wise and conversation wise, because you're tied for first place in the big 12. So all these games are massive. It's just, this one's really tough. I, I, you could lose this game and still be in really good shape though, with two home games coming up after that. And then you got a brutal stretch with Kansas state and Texas, but you, you would know more about West Virginia schematically than I do. I kind of see their profile. I know, um, Toussaint plays for them. I'm, I haven't seen yeah. them play a whole lot. They're the one Big 12 team I don't know a ton about other than their you know statistical profile. I think I've seen them play once or maybe twice this year. Yeah, I watched, just, I watched a couple of their condensed games this morning, like the 20-minute versions. And I, that was really, 
I think I'd watched maybe half of their game they played against Texas Tech a couple weeks ago, but that was really the first time I'd watched them play too much. They just haven't played in any big games, you know? It's not like – I mean, yeah. I wonder how many games West Virginia has played on ESPN+. Plus. I bet it's good a lot. Point. That's a good know? point. Uh, I mean, the numbers, too, you look at – the thing that has not made any sense to me all year is that they've been in the top 20 on Ken Palm basically the entire time I've been looking at it, and they're 3-7 and seven in the league. And it's just – then I'll even want, I was watching their games and it's like, if you get the right game, you can really see where it's like, Oh yeah, this team looks like a top 20 team, but they can't do that every night, you know? And I just, this is a total trap too, by the way, for people yeah. who listen to like to bet on big 12 games, don't bet on this game. No, no, this could go <laughs> this. I feel like this is going to be a very unpredictable game that could get just ridiculously stupid. Either way, there's going to be like is, 60 foul calls. Like I just already know how this yeah. game is going to go. And that's, this is, how is um, Indiana favored over number one Purdue? This is, this is one of those games where it's just don't bet on it. That's yeah. the thing too. If you we should do this math, go to Iowa State's road losses in the Big Twelve. Okay, so you lose to Kansas by two, Oklahoma State by two, and Tech in overtime by three. You mentioned free throws. I. Memory serves me. Iowa State was shit on the free throw line in all of those games. So you that's a really good point by you. It's just, the game could be won and lost to charity stripe. And if it comes to that, I don't like I, Iowa State is not shooting the ball well from the free throw line for some reason now. They were pretty good at the beginning of the year, but they've really fallen off. But again, go to all three of those big 12 losses, Jared. Iowa State has essentially lost those games at the free throw line. Yeah, and the thing that that's that would worry me in that sense. I think Iowa State's last in the league in three point in free throw percentage right now. I'm I'm pretty sure that they are. And uh they are currently um overall in college basketball, 329th. Yikes. And they are dead last in the Big Twelve. The issue is that Robert Jones is their worst free throw shooter, but he shoots the most of them. That's well, that's the biggest yeah, problem. Dude's absolutely ice cold in clutch. In the clutches I, saw last week in Lubbock. I suppose so. But they have two guys, Toussaint and then Kedrion Johnson. They're both in the top five in the league in free throw rate. And then Joe Toussaint against Texas Tech went 12 of 14 from the free throw line. And then this Kedrion Johnson's attempted eight plus free throws five times. And he's been eight of eight or better every time. Wow. So these guys not only get to the free throw line, but they make them. It's yeah. like they they have to get 20 plus free throw attempts. Otherwise they're not going to score points. Those are like the two, if you can do that and you can keep them off the glass, you can win this game. But we know it's a lot easier said than done to go into West Virginia and not get called for 25,000. Yeah, it's just, I mean, it's just a bad place to play it. Okay. So I think we're both probably picking West Virginia to win the game. Let's, let's do it the other way. What, what do you like you from a basketball standpoint? What do you like about this matchup? Iowa I, mean, State. I, I think Iowa State probably can win in the front court. Like I, I think that, you know, West Virginia's got Trey Mitchell, six, he's six nine, but like they're not overly deep in that area. Iowa State's got so many bodies that you can throw out there right now with Jazz and Trey King and Oshun and then Robert and I mean you can even put Hassan Ward out there. Like that's the thing. I was just thinking about teams if Iowa State got matched up with them in the NCAA tournament, just how they would match up with them. And I think that. Iowa State will have a good chance to probably have the best front court uh, compared to every team that they play the rest of the year. 
you know, that's where it's like, if you somehow got matched up with like a Purdue or something, Iowa State's just got so many bodies to put out there. So it's like, even if you get in some foul trouble in that sense, you'll probably be okay. So I, I like that. Uh, I feel like there's some, probably some points to be scored there. Uh, but other than that, it's going to come down to, can you guard without fouling? Because if, if you are putting Eric Stevenson on the free throw line, if you're putting Tucson on the free throw line, if you're putting Johnson on the free throw line, like it's going to be a really long night, you know, and yeah. we know how those guys can get sometimes, especially Gabe. I mean, Gabe, exactly. Jaron, like they can have a stretch where they'll pick up three, three fouls in in a couple minutes, you know, I, the, the, the officiating too has just been so predictable this year. Like we knew exactly what would happen in the second half against Kansas. It, it, and it's, this is a hard league to officiate. I'm, I'm not even like, I think I'm probably a little softer on the officials than you are listening to your podcast, <laughs> Iowa everywhere. Um, but my, I guess my point, the point that I'm trying to make is it's pretty obvious right now when you watch a first half to predict how the second half will be. So they're either going to be like, okay, we called too many. We're getting, we're letting the game, it, you know, mm-hmm. we're letting the flow of the, and then they're going to let them just beat the hell out of each other. It, they'll, it goes on. I wonder with the profile that this Iowa state team has and its reputation, just getting into rock fights with people. And then it's Huggins more. Yeah. I wonder how they call this game from the beginning. This strikes me as the kind of game where both teams are in the double bonus with 10 minutes left in each half. I'm with you. That's exactly how I think they're going to call the thing. And it's going to be horrible to watch. That's where for Iowa state, like they have to stay aggressive, offensively attacking downhill, not be, or dumping it into Oshun, dumping it into whoever on the block and letting them go to work because that's, and I, I think that the more this season goes on, people are going to start to pick up on this more and more where teams have started to switch a lot of screens and you're ending up with Oshun getting good matchups in the post and you got to get him the ball, you know, cause that's the guy that can kind of be your moneymaker in those scenarios where, you know, your guards are not necessarily the guys that are going to attack the rim. You got to get the ball to the guys who are going to attack the rim and not settle for a bunch of long jump shots. Like I has a tendency to do at times. Mm-hmm. No, it's good points. I, Listen, we've just seen too many of these games. It was it's a hard place to win. It's 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 just a tough, tough place to win. They had a stretch where they lost five in a row. Didn't they start 0 and five? Yeah, they did. Yeah. Yeah. So they've won what? Four of six, but that includes a an SEC game. Uh TCU won there. And or excuse me, TCU lost there. Um, Texas won there. Yeah, I think <laughs> they're a perplexing team because I you're, you're right. If you look at their resume, how are they the 14th ranked team in the country? According to the metrics, they're the only team in the top 20 on Ken Palm with a losing conference record. It's bizarre. Makes no sense. I, I don't, I don't That's get why it. Like they they, they could be a top 20 team on Ken Palm and miss the NCAA tournament. Which they would right now. Yeah. How crazy is that? Like it, it, that does not make any sense whatsoever. I don't know. They're just a weird anomaly. I don't know. Uh, we'll learn more about the Mountaineers when we come back on corner three. We're going to hear from uh, Brad Howie covers West Virginia uh, here on the podcast uh, after these messages. All right. Welcome back into the Cyclone Fanatic podcast. It's corner three here on the Cyclone Fanatic podcast network. And we're joined now uh, from West Virginia Metro News. He hosts a couple podcasts for uh, for them over there. Uh, it's Brad Howe. Brad, how's it going, man? Uh, looking forward to, to tomorrow night's game out in Morgantown. 
Um, well, Jared, thanks. It's great to talk to you. Yeah, can't wait to watch the Cyclones come in. My uh, my history, as we've talked many times, goes way back with the Cyclones. I, I'm from West Des Moines, played high school basketball at West Des Moines Valley against Fred Hoiberg. So I've, I've followed and watched the Cyclones for years and years and years. Yeah, and it, uh, this is going to be a fun game because I think these two teams are uh, an interesting matchup with uh, some of the things that they both do well and some of the things that they don't do well, how, uh, how those things match up. But first of all, what's just... What's kind of been the the feeling around West Virginia basketball? Obviously, you start off the the Big Twelve play zero and five, but you're up to three and seven, won four of your last six. Uh, what's kind of just been the feeling around the program at this point over the last couple of weeks? Yeah, it was such a disappointing season last year for WVU. They just quite frankly weren't any good. So Bob Huggins went out, remade the entire roster, and it's almost entirely new faces on this year's this year's team. So there were high expectations, meaning everybody knew what a great league this big 12 was. So this wasn't a team that had aspirations necessarily externally to win the league, but it was a team that you thought if you could get into the mid pack, as we now know, that's going to be good enough to get in the NCAA tournament. So West Virginia at times has looked like an NCAA tournament team. It did earlier this week against Oklahoma. It's had times when it couldn't look further from an NCAA tournament team. So I think kind of the buzzword around this team has been inconsistent at times, very good. Other times it struggled significantly. Uh, Eric Stevenson has been the most impressive player for them for, for most of the season shooting 38% on the year, uh, only 25% from three in big 12 play. So inconsistency, I think probably would be the perfect, uh, word for him, but you know, that was seven of 10 from three against Auburn went six of 11 against Oklahoma the other night. What, what is it about him that has allowed him to, to find some success here over the last couple of weeks? And uh, maybe why was he struggling to shoot the ball uh, earlier in big 12 play than what he has over yeah. these last couple of games? It's a great question. And, and that's really the first key that we should talk about with West Virginia. So you hit on it perfectly there. When he goes, as he did in those two games you mentioned, Auburn and Oklahoma, he can get blistering white hot and just start filling it up from all over, regardless of what the defense throws at him. That's what he did in those two games. And he was just terrific. The other games, it has been inconsistent. And that's been the challenge for West Virginia. If Stevenson doesn't score and score at a high rate, oftentimes the entire offense bogs down. So it's really depended on one person. And I know we'll get into some matchup stuff. I think that's one of the challenges for West Virginia against what's a very good Iowa State defense. I don't need to tell you and your listeners that, but that's going to be the biggest challenge is can Eric Stevenson stay semi-hot against a team that knows he drives the bus offensively. So I think that's the critical key. Oklahoma knew it. They just couldn't stop it. He got cranked up, and that was the difference in the game. As you know, and, and people get on hugs here a lot about this because so many times hugs will say after a game what happened, and he'll say, well, we have to make shots have to make shots. And it's the most simplistic thing you can say in basketball, but that's especially true for a West Virginia team. And it starts with Eric Stevenson. If he's cold, it's going to be a rough night for the Mountaineers. Yeah. And then the other thing I've noticed, I mean, when this team is playing, is playing well, they get to the free throw line at an yeah. absolutely ridiculous rate. And I, yes. I was talking to uh, Chris Williams before earlier today, before we, we sat down to do this. And I told him, I was like, man, this game just gives me the vibe of a game where West Virginia is going to shoot like 35 free throws and Iowa State's going to shoot five. I was like, it just is that going to be that kind of game. I have a feeling because, I mean, you look at what, uh, what Kedrian Johnson, Kedrian Johnson has been able to do, get into the line. Joe Toussaint has shot the ball at the line at a really high level, shot 14 free throws against uh, Texas Tech a couple weeks ago. Like these are just some guys that average 10 points a game and they're banking on the idea that they're going to get to the free throw line eight times in that, in that. I, 
Yeah, again, you're all over it. And that's one of the critical components for West Virginia. And it's a pillar of their offensive system and has been for a number of years. They're they're top 15 in the country in terms of percentage of points that come from the free throw line. So, yeah, they're going to get their free throws. The question is just the disparity and how many times they get to the line. And that was critical against Oklahoma, who's a team that doesn't foul a lot and doesn't put you on the line. West Virginia still found a way to get there. 30 plus times West Virginia made more free throws than Oklahoma attempted. So that's one of those things. If West Virginia does that, it's probably a WVU win. They have to get to the line and then they have to make shots. There was a period of time in those opening conference games that West Virginia started 0-5, as you mentioned to, that the Mountaineers were getting to the line, but they were shooting down in the 50-60% from the free throw line. They have since corrected that. They've had two games better than 80% from the line. They had one against Oklahoma that was in the high 70s that was 80% all game until the very end. So that's the critical piece. You identified that. I know Iowa State's a team that puts other teams on the line a lot and doesn't get there itself. So what's the gap in free throw points? If West Virginia is going to be plus 10 to 15 points at the line, that starts to bode well for WVU. If you're the other team, if you're Iowa State, you want to keep that gap as close as you can. And if you do, you have a good chance to beat this team. Joe Toussaint's obviously a guy that people in Iowa are, are really familiar with. What what have you seen from him this year? How's he kind of fit in with everything that, that Coach Huggins has been trying to do? Yeah, he's been very good here. He's been unleashed a little more offensively here than he was at Iowa when he was feeding Keegan Murray, the nation's leading scorer, and he was more of a distributor. Here they've needed him to score at times. And, and Jared, there's been a couple games where he flat out won them the game with his offense coming in off the bench. So he's been a critical piece, and he's a guy that doesn't start for WVU, but almost every game late in the final minute or two, you'll see Joe Toussaint in that lineup. So he's been very, very good for WVU and has been a nice addition. Tough nose. West Virginia's had great success with guards and point guards in particular out of the Bronx. So he's fit right in with the culture here and the way Bob Huggins wants to do things. So Toussaint's been a great addition for this WVU program. And then Trey Mitchell's another guy I was going to ask you about. Obviously a transfer from Texas, uh, averaging 12 points per game, shooting the ball pretty well here during Big 12 play, shooting 40% from deep. Uh, how has he, he fit in with things? And then what kind of has been the um, – what kind of – can you tell me about that West Virginia front court in general in addition to Trey Mitchell? Yeah, so Mitchell's really interesting. Great NBA body, 6'9", with a lot of length, extremely skilled offensively. Probably the most skilled offensive player on this team, and I'd argue one of the most skilled offensive players in this league. The challenge for Trey is to not get lost in this offense. There's times when you'll see him just drift to the wing and isn't as involved as you'd like to see him. There's other times when West Virginia will move him in to the high post right at the free throw line and force its offense through him, which is tremendous for WVU because that forces him to be engaged. He's a really good passer. He can put it on the floor and take it to the rim. He can step out and hit shots. He's a guy that I think moving forward now as Stevenson's going to get even more attention. Trey Mitchell's got to score for this West Virginia team. If it's going to find its way to a couple more, four more wins in this conference season and steal one of those last NCAA tournament spots, I think it's got to be Mitchell that scores. Really talented, but can get lost offensively at times and drift to the perimeter and not have much of an impact. All right. Then the other thing I was going to bring up that I think is going to be so key in this game is the battle of the glass. I mean, obviously West Virginia is one of the better offensive rebounding teams in the big 12. Iowa state's a good offensive rebounding team. Iowa state's a really good defensive rebounding team. I think, you know, whoever can create those second chance opportunities. Like I, I look at it. It's like, if Iowa state can keep West Virginia off the line, you know, 
a ridiculous amount. Like if you can keep them to where they're going to the line, maybe 20 times, and then you can create a handful of second chance opportunities out of that. You can negate it, but it's, you know, you have to figure out a way to not get your ass kicked on both yeah. ends. I feel like yeah. for Iowa state and you have to be able to at least make those things a wash. And then you hope you can pick up for that with the rest of, of what you do. Once again, I think you're dead on this. And this has kind of been a sneaky part of West Virginia's team. I wouldn't have said to you in August or September that I thought this would be a typical Bob Huggins team that's really good on the offensive glass. It's turned out to be. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I'm not quite sure where it's coming from, but they have been very good as a team on the glass. Here's the sneaky stat, though. And this is why West Virginia has been winning as of late and wasn't early. They've been good and consistent on that offensive glass all season in Big 12 play. But early on, they were in just the fifth percentile nationally on second chance field goal percentage. So they were getting those offensive rebounds, but couldn't finish on the second shot. That's jumped here in the last five, six games up into about the 50th percentile. So still not great, still not elite in getting those second chance buckets, but much better. So that's allowed them when they've had off shooting nights to go ahead and continue to find points. So I think you're right on it. I know Iowa State does that extremely well on the glass and keeps teams off. So I think that's a critical component. Who can win on the glass and then who can finish on those second shots between Iowa State and West Virginia? Because if you're West Virginia, you want to send some of your bigs and there's three of them that'll play and we can talk about each of the three they're going to have to send all three of those bigs and have to be a factor in this game to keep Iowa State at bay on the glass yeah so that was the thing I was going to bring up I, I think Iowa State one of the things I really like about their team right now is just the sheer number of bodies that they can throw at the front court that is so rare where you've got four five guys that it's like, if you have to put them out there, you feel relatively comfortable that they're not going to go out there and completely screw things up in those couple of minutes that you need them to be out there. Uh, and that's where I think Iowa state will have an advantage over some teams here moving forward. But like you mentioned, West Virginia's got a couple guys. What can you tell us about them? And, and then how do you see that kind of shaking out from between those two teams? Yeah, so there's three of them that you're going to see coming up on Wednesday night. The first is Jimmy Bell. Jared, he's a load. 6'10", arrived in Morgantown about 360. They've shaved about 80 pounds off him. He's 282, 90. He's the only guy I've watched all year that Zach 80 from Purdue can't move off the block. Bell was able to not only hold his ground, but push Edie out. He is an absolute load and beast inside. So physically, he's very difficult to match up with against. So you're going to see him first. Then you're going to see a guy named Mohamed Wagi. He's a completely different body type. He's 6'9", 6'10", but long and stretchy and thin. He's still trying to learn his way through this offense and maybe more importantly against Iowa State through his defense. Sometimes switching on the ball screen gives him some trouble. He's a tremendous athlete, great shot blocker. Offensively, he'll run the floor. You'll see him at times. The third piece is a little bit of a wild card. It's a guy named James Aconquo. He's a young guy, arrived at West Virginia as a 17-year-old from England. He hasn't played much over the last couple of years, but here in the last five, he has really developed, put up a double-double against Oklahoma. He's turned into a reliable and consistent shot blocker as well. So he can get to the line, he can make a few free throws, he can rebound the ball, and he's going to block some shots. So he's been tremendous. I think the question with him is, is he, is he due for some regression? He's been so good for five games, and I'm not sure that's a piece they counted on to this level. Can he continue? So you're going to get a three-headed monster as well from West Virginia. There's going to be a bunch of bodies on bodies to try and see who shakes out and performs the best. That's the most Bob Huggins thing I've ever heard that they went and got so this kid from England that all of a sudden is just a dog down in the paint. Like, what the, like where, how the hell did they even find the kid? Where did that come from? 
That's a great question, and he's been a great find. He pulled one the other night. Some of your fans may remember a guy named Sagabal Kanate that was famous in the league for his two-handed blocks and rejections. Aconquo did one against Texas Tech from the low block. The Tech kid turned – it was Batchko – turned, went up for a dunk. Aconquo just spun with him, went up, didn't block it, went up, grabbed it with two hands, and took it away from him. It was probably the best block of the year I've seen West Virginia or any of their opponents. And that kind of jump-started him, and he's playing with some confidence. So, again, very young and very green. This will be a higher level of competition because of Iowa State's size. Oklahoma at times went with five guards, so he had a size advantage in there. It worked out to be a very good matchup. But watch Bell, Wagee, and Aconquo which one of those are how two of the three have to be good for West Virginia if they're going to beat Iowa State, I think. All right, I got two things left for you. What, uh, From your perspective, what's maybe the biggest concern for West Virginia in this game from, from what I, Iowa State's able to do? Yeah, I think, I think it's clear, and it's the defensive pressure and turnover rate that Iowa State creates. I don't need to tell you that, number one in the country. When West Virginia has struggled, it is because of a lot of turnovers, and I'm talking 17 to 20 in games. It's not like it's a 13 turnover game that come at bad times. It's a high volume of turnovers. So that should help being at home. I know Iowa State hasn't been as good on the road, but the way Iowa State gets after people and guards – and pressure certainly in the half court. I, I think that's the biggest concern for West Virginia. If you can manage the turnovers, I think they've got a shot. If Iowa State does what it does defensively, I think Iowa State wins this game. Right now, today, does West Virginia get into the NCAA tournament? Uh, that's such a great question, and tomorrow is critical. The way it shakes out now, West Virginia's remaining schedule on the road is is near impossible for them. I don't know where the road win comes from. So West Virginia's got to protect its home court. One of those, that means they've got to beat a very good Iowa State team. So if you made me pick right now, if I had to lay money on a yes-no, I'd say no because I think tomorrow's a very tough matchup for West Virginia. They're right on the bubble my fear for WVU, if you follow Ken Palm, that West Virginia is going to be that team that when they highlight all the NCAA tournament teams and you go down, West Virginia will be the one that sticks out as the highest rated Ken Palm team that doesn't get in. They've got to win tomorrow against Iowa State. I would have to think that would be unprecedented if a team that finished in the top 20 on Ken Palm did not make the tournament. I can't imagine that that has ever happened before. It, it doesn't, but here's the thing. I mean, West Virginia's the computer absolutely adores West Virginia, yeah. loves West Virginia. The question is though, I don't know that you can get into the tournament with six conference wins. This is an elite league. It's by far the best league. And that's not even opinion at this point. That's just fact. I know you guys would agree with us. I think it's got to get to seven. I mean, seven, we've seen Oklahoma get in with seven conference wins. Six, I think you're really pushing it. So the reason I say out at this point is a no is I'm, I'm counting on West Virginia needing to get to that seventh conference win, regardless of what the computers are saying right now. All right. He's Brad Howe, covers West Virginia. We appreciate you taking the time tonight, man. And uh, we'll talk to you again down the road. Always a pleasure. Thanks for having me, Jared.